What's up? Hey, did, did, did we just do some country music up in the house? I'm just saying the Holy Spirit hovers greatly when we bring country music into the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen from my country folks? And for those of you who don't like country music, we will have an invitation at the end of this celebration. You probably need Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Man, that was great. Good job to all the worship teams at all the campuses. We love you guys. Welcome to Kenya, Columbia. Come on, Sanford, Garner, Wake Forest, Hillsboro, Durham campus. Welcome one. Welcome all. I know it's already been said, but if you are a man at any of our campuses, you are welcome at Battle Ready this Thursday. That is a men's ministry where we just believe in getting together with the brotherhood and becoming all that we can be for God. Can I get an amen from the men? Hey, hey, um, talking about men, you are in for a great treat today. He, he's really no stranger if you've been at New Hope for um, beyond a year, because I have him here about once a year, uh, you've met this guy. If you're new and you haven't met this guy, you are in for a treat. I'm talking about Pastor Mike Kelsey. Um, he is a gifted brother. And let me just tell you a little bit about him. Uh, pastor Mike currently serves as teaching pastor in McLean Bible Church in Washington, D.C. area and campus pastor of its Montgomery County campus in Rockville, Maryland. Born into a strong lineage of Washington, D.C. pastors. That includes his father and grandfather. Mike grew up with a strong foundation of the gospel and by God's grace fully surrendered himself to Christ as a student at the University of Maryland College Park. After receiving his Bachelor's of Arts in Rhetoric and Political Culture in 2004, Mike went into full-time ministry with the Louis Pau Association helping organization and organize evangelistic festivals in major U.S. cities, and eventually accepted a call to join the pastoral staff at McLean Bible Church in 2007. McLean Bible Church is a great church in this country. He has a passion to advance the gospel in multi-ethnic contexts, which means he's going to fit in well here. He loves that about New Hope. He longs to see emerging generations invest their lives for the glory of God. He is married to his college sweetheart, Ashley, and they have three young children, Ava, Michael III, and Jackson. And beyond anything on this bio that I'm reading to you, you need to know this. Of, of the preachers that I get to listen to, and, and there are a lot of them, this brother is one of my favorites. I could listen to him preach all day Long. He is gifted, he is articulate, he is brilliant, he loves the Lord, and he, I'm just telling you, he is just one of my favorites, so you are in for a treat. The only, the only thing that would make that bio better, I can't believe I'm about to say this, at the beginning where it says, Pastor Mike Kelsey currently serves as a teaching pastor in McLean Bible Church, I long for the day, which is what I just talked to him about in my office, and every year that I have him, I bring this up. I long for the day that somebody will read his bio and it will say, Pastor Mike Kelsey currently serves as the teaching pastor at New Hope Church. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that, that is, um, man, that is a desire of mine. He, he, he might be settled, but he does have family in Durham. 
he does love, love, love this church. And uh, I, I just think I ought to invite the whole movement at all the campus to just start charging heaven with your prayer requests right now because this brother would be awesome. But we're gonna be thankful for what we have, amen? And we get him about once a year. Would you do what you do? Give honor to God for the man of God who's gonna bring the word of God to the people of God. Come on, in the house of God. Give it up! Ah, <laughs> oh, New Hope. New Hope, what's up? How y'all doing? Good, your pastor is crazy. He's absolutely crazy. And uh, no, I love your pastor, Amy Lynn, and the family. And it's a joy uh, to be here. This feels like family to me every time I get a chance to come. Uh, I love this church. I want to give a shout out to those of you watching from uh, other campuses uh, all over this area, all over the world. I'm a campus pastor, so I know out there at the campuses is where the action is. And uh, it's a joy to be able to uh, be with y'all uh, today. We're going to be in John 13, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, marriage. And just real quick, so I can get a feel for the room, how many married people we got? Round of applause. Yeah. Just still clap even if you ain't happy, because we're going to talk about that, all right? How many single people we got here all across the campuses? How many single people? Come on, single folks. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about marriage, uh, but... Uh, I wanted to um, uh, just share this first. I don't know if anybody else is like me in this, uh, but uh, I hate uh, carpools. I, I really do. And, and, and the problem is, you've, you've been in this situation before where you go on a road trip with your family, your extended family, uh, with your college friends, your homegirls, y'all go on a road trip, and you have to carpool. Everybody's following each other. Now, I don't personally know why we have to do that anymore. We got Google Maps. We got Waze. We got all that. My whole thing is, put the address in. I'll see y'all when we get there. We don't have to follow each other. I don't have to go to speed limit because you go to speed limit. We got to coordinate. You got to go to the restroom. But then this person got to go to the restroom seven minutes later. You want Wendy's. I don't know why you would. I want Chick-fil-A. You want to get the Popeye's chicken sandwich. I want all of it. Right? I hate doing that because you have to coordinate. I can't go as fast as I want to go because I have to coordinate with all of these other people. And here's the reality of the matter. If you're honest, marriage is a carpool. <laughs> Come on, married people. Marriage is a carpool. You can't just hop on the road and just do whatever you want to do. You got to talk about what temperature the AC is in the car, and can you slow down? Can you put your blink on? Listen, we have to coordinate in order to get where we're going. You're nervously laughing because you know it's true. It's a carpool. It's a carpool, though, on a fun, sometimes not so fun road trip. And that's the reality of marriage, and that's what we're talking about in this XO series. And I'll be honest with you, marriage is awesome. But sometimes I look at y'all single people, and you know the image I get in my mind when I think about my single friends? It's like dolphin out in the ocean, just like jumping in the water and just free and just... It's just y'all out here living life in these streets. So marriage is an amazing journey, full of adventure, so, full of so much fun, 
but there are difficult moments. Last time I was here with you, uh, I introduced my family to you a little bit. I, I've been married now for almost 12 years to my wife, Ashley, and now we got three kids, nine, six, and about to be uh, three. We're exhausted, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We met when she was in eighth grade. I was in 10th grade. She ended up coming to my high school, and uh, we weren't really friends. Uh, I wear a size 14 shoe, and I did back then, too, but I wasn't this tall. So I was just awkward. <laughs> had glasses, I had braces, I didn't get good grades, but I wasn't an athlete, I was just lost. And she was a cheerleader and all that. So we just, we didn't, we weren't in the same circles at all. She wouldn't even like look at me, like I just, at all. And so I went to college, I grew into my feet and, uh, and I began to like walk with the Lord. She ended up coming to my college and we ended up in the same kind of circle of friends in college and uh, and so we just ended up kind of hanging out, and we began to, to date while we were in college, and last time I was here, I told you about uh, uh, my proposal, how I ended up proposing to her. Some of y'all weren't here. Uh, I convinced uh, some of my friends to convince her to plan me a surprise birthday party, so she worked with my family and my friends to plan me a surprise birthday party, and when we got there, she realized it was her surprise engagement party, and so... Yeah, oh, it was amazing, but I also got her to, I didn't have to do no work. She planned, <laughs> she planned the whole proposal. It was a kind of a G move, for real. And, uh, and so, uh, so, so I proposed, and we, and we, and we got married, and we've, we've been able to do ministry together, and, and, and we had, a, like, a couple of kids, and, and life, life has been amazing. Then in 2016, my parents, my dad is a pastor, uh, in 2016, my parents set me and my brothers down and my wife down and told us that they had been having some challenges in their marriage and they ended up separating for several years. You gotta understand that for me growing up, like I was one of the only people in my crew, me and my boys, me and my cousins, I was one of the only people that actually had a, a two parents in the home. And they've been married for over 30 years and they ended up separating for for several years because of challenges in their marriage. That was in around about 2016. Fast forward, they've, they've reconciled, praise God. They've worked through it. In August, they're actually celebrating 40 years. They're renewing their vows. They're having a whole wedding ceremony and all of that. God has been good. He's been gracious. But that was in 2016 where our family began to go through a very difficult time. And in watching them go through what they went through, God began to show me some of the challenges that were in my marriage and, the, and challenges that was my fault. And so 2017, we end up in marriage counseling, to be honest with you, somewhat against my will. I didn't want to go sit with a marriage counselor. I was like, what this dude going to tell me? And I was ignorant. And we sat down and we processed some stuff in marriage counseling and all that to say, everything isn't sweet. Marriage can be amazing, and it often is, but, but we hit pockets where it's difficult. And the question is, like, how do we enjoy this road trip? How do we make it and last and not just survive in marriage, but survive in marriage in the highs and in the lows? And I think Jesus has something to say to us that seems very simple on the surface, but it's pretty profound when we really dig into it. John chapter 13. We're going to come back up to verse 1, but I want us to spend some time in verses 34 and 35 first. And just for some context, Jesus is having 
his last dinner with his disciples before he's arrested and crucified. And they're around the table together in the upper room, and Jesus begins to give them some final instructions. And he says this to them in John 13, 34 and 35. He says this to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me just pray and ask God to work in our hearts as we hear from him. Father, we open our hearts to you. Those of us who are married, those of us who are single or widowed or divorced or every single one of us here at all of our campuses, those watching and listening, God, we open our hearts to you and we pray that you would not only speak to us through your word, but that you would work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, restore, heal, encourage, strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you might ask if you're new to the Bible and you're reading this, Jesus says, a new command I give you, and you might be expecting something revolutionary, something profound, and then he says, love one another. And so you might think, well, how is this a new command? Because you may not know the Bible that well, but you know love is all over the Bible. I mean, in the Old Testament, you see love your neighbor as yourself, and you see that repeated even in the New Testament. Throughout Jesus' teachings, he commands his disciples to love all kinds of people, basically everybody. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, he says, love your neighbor. But then in Matthew 5, 44, he even says, love your enemies. And so you would think that love one another would be obvious. But one of the reasons Jesus' command to love one another is so revolutionary is because his, listen, his disciples had no control over who was going to be included in their one another. You see, all of us have a filter for who we will include in our one another. The disciples had their filters, too, for who they were willing to love, who they weren't, who would be included, who wouldn't be included. And Jesus is challenging their filters when he says, love one another. Think about it. One of his disciples, Matthew, you might remember this from reading the New Testament. Matthew was a tax collector when he met Jesus. And that doesn't mean too much uh, for, for us. But when you understand the context, this is a Jewish man who's working for the Roman Empire. He made a living. He made profit from the oppression of his own Jewish people. And so the Jews hated tax collectors. And now when Jesus looks at Matthew and looks at the other disciples, he says to them, love one another. Later, Jesus would save Saul, who had murdered and locked up as many Christians as he could. And then he gets saved, becomes the apostle Paul. And he, in the same church he persecuted, are expected now to do what? to love one another. Then before his ascension, Matthew 28 and Acts 1, Jesus gives his disciples the great commission. He tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnic groups, all different kinds of people. And so Jesus is basically saying, listen, I'm gonna save all kinds of people and then I'm going to include them in your spiritual family. You don't get to choose who they are. All you need to know is that I love them and I'm calling you to love them. 
This is, this is the message of the gospel to, to the church that Jesus has, has loved all these different kinds of people. He's bringing them into his family. And then he says, hey, brothers and sisters, I want you to love them. And this is hard. This takes intentionality and perseverance because, listen, we're talking about people with different, sometimes difficult personalities. Any difficult personalities in New Hope Church? Don't look to your right. Look straight at me. Are there any difficult personalities? Might be you. Men and women, young and elderly, married, single, divorced, widow, people with different physical and intellectual abilities, people with different socioeconomic statuses, people from a different race or culture. And listen, as the gospel goes out, Jesus is inviting all kinds of people into his family, some people that we may not naturally connect with. And Jesus says, Y'all going to be on a road trip together. Y'all are going to journey together. You're going to carpool through life together. Love one another. Now, some of y'all might be thinking, but, but wait, I thought this was a sermon about marriage. You're talking about loving different kinds of people in the church, people that we didn't necessarily choose, but I actually get to choose my spouse. And you're right. But here's the thing. Listen, here's the thing. You get to choose who you marry. Here's the problem, though. You don't get to choose who they become after you're married. You get to choose the person that you marry. You may scope them out on Match.com. You may ask for references from friends and family. You may see what they're like over holidays and all of that. You get to choose who you marry, but you don't get to choose who they become after you're married. And the reality is, come on, y'all, people change. Every single one of us change. Our bodies change. Amen. I feel like I've gotten skinnier. Like I'm trying, I'm taking protein shakes, everything. Nothing works. Our bodies change. Our preferences change. Our desires and our dreams change. Lots of things change. And so what is it that keeps the love strong through all the changes? Where do we get the motivation to not just fall in love, but to stay in love through all of the seasons and situations of life? But Jesus gives us a clue. And he's talking about his disciples. He's talking about his church. But, but, but I think he's also talking about our marriages. He says, love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. You see, people outside the church are supposed to be able to look at our relationships inside the church in order to better understand what God's love looks like. And the same thing is true of our marriages. That's why Ephesians 5, Paul says marriage is a mystery because it's not just about two people loving each other. Marriage is supposed to showcase the way Jesus loves the church. Our relationships with each other are supposed to be a commercial for the kind of relationship that people can have with God. Your, listen, your marriage is supposed to be a visual aid that helps your spouse, that helps your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, that helps other people understand and see what God's love is like. 
And so right before Jesus gives them this command to love one another, he shows them what this love looks like. He gives a picture of what kind of love this is. And so Jesus shows us three ways our love for each other can showcase his love for us and his love for all people. We're going to go back up to verse 1 to see this picture. So, so further down in chapter 13, he says, love one another as I have loved you. What does that love look like, Jesus? He showed them already up in verse 1. So here's number one. Our marriages should showcase how dependable God's love is how dependable God's love is. Look at verse one in, in John chapter 13. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, this is good, y'all. It says, he loved them, how long? He loved them until the end. To the end of his Life. He loved them to the end. In other words, he stayed committed. His love for them was dependable. Now, think about this. Jesus spent three years with his disciples, eating with them, traveling, teaching them, weeping with them. He lived up close and personal with them. And here's what that means. It means he intimately understood how sinful and flawed they were. Jesus' disciples were constantly missing the mark. You notice if you've read your Bible, they were power hungry. You remember Mark 10, James and John come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do anything we ask you to do. Anything. Jesus says, okay, what do you want? They could ask Jesus for anything. And you know what they asked? For the most prominent seats in the kingdom. They, they wanted to position and posture for power. At least one of his disciples harbored prejudice toward people that were considered low class during that day. You remember when Philip came and, and told Nathaniel that the Messiah had been born. And he says the Messiah was born and is in Nazareth. And you remember Nathaniel didn't believe him. You remember why? Nathaniel said, what good could come out of Nazareth? Oh, nothing good can come from that part of town. That's the hood. The Messiah can't come from that, that part of town. The Messiah can't come from, from that, was, that was represented among his disciples. They struggled with doubt. Thomas refused to believe that Jesus rose from the dead without empirical evidence, John 20. Later, Peter was put on the spot in front of the crowd, and he abandoned Jesus and denied that he even knew Jesus. Listen, these disciples were jacked up. That's not in the Greek. That's my translation. They were jacked up. They were flawed. They were weak. They were sinful. And so why did Jesus love them to the end? Listen, why was Jesus' love for them so dependable even when they were so disappointing? The answer is very simple. It's because his love the love of Christ does not depend on our consistency. It depends on his commitment. Come on, is that good news to anybody else? That his love for you is not dependent on your consistency. It's dependent on his character and his commitment. He is dependable when we are not. He is faithful when we are unfaithful. And his love does not magnify how worthy we are. His love magnifies how worthy he is and how gracious he is. 
We look at the gospel and we're reminded that we don't deserve God's love. And yet he keeps pursuing us and he keeps loving us and he's made a commitment to love us. The steadfast love of the Lord never fails. And this is why whenever I officiate a wedding, I usually say this to the couple. I'm gonna read straight from my wedding notes. And this is what I want you to hear today. This is what I say. I say, your presence here today is a testimony to the fact that you love each other. But when a man and a woman stand before God in a wedding ceremony, it is not simply a sentimental expression of current love. It is a covenant pledge of future love. You are standing here to uh, you're standing here today not simply to say I love you. Listen, but you are standing here to say I will love you. And that's not a commitment to be made casually or superficially. This is a vow of covenant faithfulness symbolized in the giving of rings, confirmed by these witnesses and sealed by God himself. When you get married, you are not just saying, I love you. Everybody knows that. Instagram knows that. We see all your selfies with your, with your boyfriend, with your girl. We already know that. We know y'all love each other. But when you stand and make a commitment in marriage, you're not just saying this confirms that we love each other. You're saying I will love you. We will love each other. In marriage, I make a vow to say my love for you is based on my word, not your worthiness. Oh, you can post-date this commitment that I'm making in front of all these witnesses and birds in the air and the sun is out and your dress is killing them and all of that. But my love for you from this day forward will be based on my word, not your worthiness, my commitment, not your consistency, because it reflects the grace and the steadfast love of God. And so often we love our spouse until they don't deserve it anymore or until we don't feel like it anymore. And I'm not just talking about divorce. So many of us give up on a marriage well before we divorce. Even in marriages where there's seasons where it's good, listen, this is why I call it silent contracts. Often we make silent contracts with our spouse. And sometimes we're not even aware that we're doing it, where we give our love if certain conditions are met. I'll keep being kind to you if you keep the dishes washed. Oh, that was some more ner nervous laughter. I saw a couple spouses look down real quick. Oh, I'll keep being kind to you if, if the dishes stay clean. I'll keep pursuing and romancing you if you keep looking a certain way. I'll keep serving you if, like that, it's a silent contract that often goes unsaid, but internally that's how we so often operate, that our love is dependent on what the other person does. And then the love begins to slowly break down. Listen, when your spouse doesn't deserve your love, that's when you have the greatest opportunity to show them what the love of Jesus is like. And your spouse needs to know that they can depend on your love even when they're not 
lovable. Now, I, I understand that there are some very difficult things that happen in a marriage, and some of us have been hurt and wounded in all of that. Unfaithfulness, abuse. There are situations where we need to distance ourselves, and there are times where we may actually need to end the marriage. But I'm not talking about those circumstances. I'm talking about the day-to-day -day opportunities that we have to show the love of Christ to an, our imperfect spouse. Why? Because we've received the love of Christ as imperfect believers. Some of us are nervous to depend on our spouse's love. And, and, and to be honest, that's why some of us who are single are afraid to even get married because we don't want to put ourselves in the vulnerable vulnerable position of depending on somebody else's love. We're terrified to depend on somebody else's love. But listen, this is the only way marriage lasts. Marriage doesn't last because everything is perfect. Marriage lasts because two imperfect people say, not just I do, but I will. I will love you, and we will work through it. By God's grace, with his strength, in community with other people, my love will be dependable. There's a profound beauty in a love that is dependable. So Jesus wants us to show the world how dependable his love is. But number two, our marriages should showcase how sacrificial God's love is. Look at John 13 Verse 2, it says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, so he knew his authority, and that he had come from God, so he knew his identity, and he was going back to God. He knew his destiny, and he rose from supper. Now, if I had all that, I'm in the upper room like, feed me, Peter. Let me get them strawberries. Let me get some, like, I'm bossing everybody around. What does Jesus do? The Son of God who came to earth, where Scripture says, by him, through him, and for him, all things were made that were made. What does he do? It says he laid aside his outer garments. He took off his, his robe, his jacket, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. And I'm sure it was awkward in the room. And I'm sure the question hanging in the air was, why is he, why is he doing this? Because if you're, if you're new to the Bible, let me, let me help you understand how scandalous and crazy this is. One New Testament scholar said this, there is no instance in either Jewish or Greco-Roman sources, listen, of a superior washing the feet of an in inferior. There is no other example in ancient history where you see a superior Washing the feet of an inferior. In fact, Jewish documents said that foot washing could not even be required of a Hebrew slave. Only a Gentile slave could be required to wash somebody's feet. And here is Jesus, the rabbi, the Lord, God in flesh. He knows he's about to fulfill his ultimate purpose, to die as a sacrifice for sin. And yet it's important to him that his disciples know he's willing to wash feet. 
He's willing to humble himself, to treat them like they are the most important people in the room, to be the one to inconvenience himself for the sake of others. And this is how Jesus lived and modeled his whole life. He sacrificed his time. He allowed himself to be interrupted. He cared for the people who had little value in that society, Gentiles, children, women, people who were sick. He sacrificed his reputation. Jesus constantly served people in a sacrificial way to the point where Luke twenty two twenty seven, Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. I'm among you as the one who serves. He was always putting others' needs ahead of his own. And listen, when you look at Jesus and you think about the way Jesus served all throughout the scriptures and the way Jesus continues to serve you, you turn to your spouse and you have an opportunity to show them what the love of Jesus is like. That's the posture we need to have toward our spouse. I am among you as the one who serves. Let me ask you, how would you fill in a blank in your marriage, in your relationships, with your friends, with your church family? Is it I am, I am among you as the one who serves or is it I am among you as the one who demands? I am among you as the one who constantly complains. I am among you as the one who, who expects to be served before I'm willing to serve. Now, we need to make it our Mission to serve our spouse. Listen, husbands, God wants us to take the initiative in serving our wives. He wants us to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. We take the initiative to say, what do you need? What do you want? Oh, we're going out to eat? We'll go where you want to go eat. And she says, no, I'll go where you want to go eat. No, I'll go where you want to go. And then we don't even eat nowhere. We just end up hungry. We're constantly wanting to serve each other because that's where our greatest joy is found. We become miserable when we just live for ourselves because we were never designed to live that way. And not just the big sacrifices, y'all. Some of us think, well, I bought you an expensive anniversary gift, so that should give me like six months immunity. It don't work that way. (laughs) I'm talking about every day you wake up with God's help, in response to the way Jesus has loved and served and sacrificed for you, you look for opportunities to show your spouse that same kind of love. And you say, I am among you today as one who serves. When I get off of work and I get home, instead of my first thought being, I need to be served, I wanna put my feet up, I come home, even if I gotta take a minute in the driveway, in the car, to just get myself ready, I walk in the door saying, Family, I am among you as one who serves. And when you get a husband and a wife both living that way, oh man, that marriage becomes amazing. This is what Jesus has done for us. He not just served in these practical ways, but we know that that this whole picture of him washing feet ultimately pointed to the sacrifice he would make on the cross. He served us in the ultimate way by giving up his life 
for us. And we have the great honor and privilege of showing that to our spouse. And this is why I say to y'all, single people who are in the room, the best advice I got when I was a single person, I was dating my wife and I was trying to figure out, is she the one? And I had an OG lady in the church, this older woman say to me, listen, don't focus on finding the one, focus on becoming the one. Single people, do you live a life of sacrificial service? Because that is the best way for you to train yourself to be the spouse that God desires you to be. Our marriages should showcase how sacrificial God's love is. Here's the last one. Number three, our marriages should showcase how truthful God's love is. Look at what it says in verse six. He gets around to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter is like, you're, you're my rabbi. You, you're washing my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, listen, if this is key, he says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. He looks Peter in the face and he tells him the truth. He says, listen, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And so Simon Peter said to him, then, then Lord, give me a bubble bath. <laughs> he, it's right here, he said, so not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. If I can't rock with you, Jesus, unless you wash me, then wash all of me, Jesus. He submits himself to the truth. And this is symbolic. Jesus is pointing Peter from physical cleansing to the spiritual cleansing necessary in order to be saved, to be acceptable to God. And here's what I want us to think about for a minute. Jesus looks at Peter in his face and he tells him the truth. It, it may have been more convenient for, for Jesus to just give Peter a pass and not tell him the truth. But he loved Peter too much to not tell him the truth. And so often we believe the lie that the truth is only loving if the other person agrees with it. And sometimes the most loving thing to do is to tell people the hard truth. We need to hear the truth from our spouses. We need to hear the truth from other people around us about our marriages. And so many of us, we isolate ourselves and we reject the truth. But listen, this is why Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. We need people to tell the truth. And listen, some of us, maybe even some of us here, we refuse to hear the truth. This is what I did in 2017 when my wife was saying, we need to change some things, we need to change some things, we need to change some things. And I wasn't willing to listen. I didn't want to hear the truth about ways I was contributing to the breakdown of our marriage. I was too stubborn and too prideful. But some of us need to humble ourselves and be willing to hear the truth because the truth sets us free. The truth is for our healing. The truth is for our freedom. The truth is for us to be able to thrive and enjoy what God has for us. We need to love each other enough to share the truth with each other, but we need to be humble enough to receive the truth from each other. And that might be in small things, but it might be in big things. 
And marriage only thrives and marriage only grows and marriage only continues if we're willing to hear the truth from one another without being defensive, without shutting it down, without responding with an attack, that we humble ourselves to say, okay, I know this person loves me and I'm willing to hear the truth. I'm, I'm willing to listen. Because the reality of the matter is the gospel has already said the truth about each and every one of us. That every one of us is a sinner. So when your spouse confirms that, don't get mad at them. <laughs> the gospel already tells us that we are a sinner. We are more deeply flawed than we could ever imagine. And yet at the same time, in Christ, we are more deeply loved than we could ever imagine. And so in our marriages, this is why we don't have to hide the truth in our marriages. Because our marriages are designed to reflect the gospel. That we get to know each other. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't have to perform for you. I don't have to hide for you. You get to see me make up, no makeup. You get to see me when I'm sick and I'm snotty and all of that. You get to see the real me. And the beauty of love that is rooted in the truth is that I get to see your flaws and your weaknesses and your sins. And I get to show you how much God loves you by the way I love you. And this is the love that we all want. We, want, we all want to experience from other people the kind of love that God has for us. And so I want to encourage you here at all of our campuses, you have an opportunity to show your spouse, and if you're not married, to show your roommates, to show your family, show your friends, we have an opportunity to show the world what the love of God is like, how dependable his love is. It depends on his grace and his commitment, not our consistency, how sacrificial his love is, that he's willing to give himself up for our benefit how truthful his love is, that he loves us enough to tell us the truth, but then he loves us enough to keep on loving us even though he knows the truth. And maybe for you, your response today needs to be to turn to your spouse on the way out or at lunch or whatever and to have a conversation to say, listen, I'm sorry for the ways that I've distorted God's love. I wanna do better. But maybe for some of us here or at the campuses, maybe for some of us, we need to receive the love of God for the first time. Not just religion and going through the motions. Not just coming to church and checking off the box. But to really understand, to see Jesus looking at us and saying to us, listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth that you need to be cleansed. Like you and I have irreconcilable differences. You've sinned against me and you deserve my judgment and my punishment. But he says, but I love you so much that I will tell you the truth and then I will die to pay the penalty for your sin so that you don't have to pay that penalty. And I rose from the grave so that you could have eternal life. God himself says to you in the gospel, I want to be married to you. I want to be in covenant relationship with you now and for all of eternity. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter about that abortion. It doesn't matter about that divorce. It doesn't matter about the sin that you've kept hidden in your heart. I'm looking at you now. I'm saying, I know all of that. I know the sins that you'll commit three years from now. And I'm saying, I want to love you based on my commitment and not your consistency. And he gives you an opportunity today. And so I want to pray for us and I want to give you an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. 
to respond to the love of God that has pursued you, that is pursuing you, and maybe that's the reason you're here or you're watching today. And so I'm gonna pray, and you can repeat after me just in the quietness of your own heart. If you're ready to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus to begin this new covenant love relationship with him, you can say this to God. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve anything good from you. But God, I thank you that you love me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. Thank you that he rose from the grave so that I could have eternal life. God, I want a relationship with you. I want you to be my Lord. I fully surrender to you. Father, I pray for anybody here, anybody watching or listening, God, I pray based on your word, you say if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, he or she will be saved. Lord, I pray, God, that you would open hearts and you would draw people to yourself, Lord God. And those men and women, those boys, those girls, Lord, who pray to put their trust in you, God, I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to your promise to save them, to change them, and to stay committed to them now and for all of eternity. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Listen, if you're here and you pray for the first time to put your trust in Jesus, we would love to come alongside you and help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. You can head out right after this service here, any of the campuses, to the New to New Home, uh, New, uh, New to New Hope uh, area. There's red signs everywhere. You won't miss it. There's a free Bible there for you, some resources there for you to be able to grow in your relationship with the Lord. But I want us to celebrate. I want us to respond to the love of God by remembering that his goodness has pursued us and it keeps on pursuing us. And so even as we sing and remember this and we celebrate this, let's remember that the way that the goodness of God pursues us, we have an opportunity to leave here and to reflect that in the way that we pursue others in love. Let's stand, let's sing, let's celebrate together.